Hello, I'm Pastor Nathan from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. And in this installment of Walking Our Way Through the Bible, we look at Acts chapter 19. So let's read the chapter and then we'll come back and reflect on it. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism for repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, said even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but, also, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only in that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Erastachus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asarachs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motion, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. 
But when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here, who were neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now, a lot of stuff happens in Acts chapter 19. Um, Paul goes into Ephesus. He preaches the gospel. Many people believe. People are even throwing down their idols. They're um, turning over their um, pagan objects. And that was a big business in the ancient world and specifically in Ephesus. And that's what all starts the riots because riots because the silversmiths and the people who make these idols, all of a sudden they're losing business, right? People aren't buying charms. They're not buying idols. In fact, they're speaking against them. And so they're worried about their business being compromised. They're worried about the magnificence of Ephesus, which a lot of it was rooted in the Temple of Artemis, being compromised as well. And so they start this riot out of anger for Paul and his companions. Um, but what I really want to focus on here is the work of the Holy Spirit. Because one thing that we really need to be careful against is trying to systematize or formulate the way that the Holy Spirit works. So, for example, in the Roman Catholic Church, it's often said that at confirmation, you receive the sealing of the Holy Spirit, right? You're sealed by the Holy Spirit and you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a Christian life. When you look at the Pentecostals, not all Pentecostals, but, but there are some Pentecostals who would say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second act. After your baptism, after your conversion, baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second act that usually is accompanied by speaking in tongues or some other manifestation. There are also many other Christian denominations that say that once you believe, um, whether you're baptized or not, you will immediately be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some people say that once you're baptized, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot of different opinions on when the Holy Spirit pours out on an individual. And there's many denominations and many groups that try to formulate and systematize and even break apart because of different ideas on how the Holy Spirit works. But what we see in Acts is that it's very, it's hard to predict. If you're looking at the whole Council of Scripture, it's very difficult to predict how the Holy Spirit is going to work, right? So when we look in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, when the crowd saw the Holy Spirit working through Peter and the apostles and those who were gathered there, they call and they say, what must, what, what must we do to receive the Holy Spirit? And Peter says, believe and be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And it sounds like that's what happened. They believed, they were baptized, and they received the Holy Spirit. So then somebody might look at that and say, well, you need to have believed and you need to be baptized. And at the point of baptism, you receive the Holy Spirit. But then when you go to Acts chapter 10, Peter goes and he preaches to the Gentiles. And while he's sharing the gospel with them, it says that they believed and all of a sudden they saw manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit, even before their baptism. In fact, it's because of this that Peter later on says, you know, if the Holy Spirit, if they've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, who are we to keep them from being baptized with water? 
Then we go to Acts chapter 19. And Paul runs into these believers in Ephesus and he sees that they're believers. He even asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Right? There's no question on whether or not they believed, yet they have not received the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 19, you see that they've believed for a while, they get baptized, and then after the laying on of hands, then they receive the Holy Spirit. And so it's very, you know, you could point at any one of these verses. You could point to Acts chapter 19 and say it's a second act, right? You could point to Acts chapter 2 and say that it's at the point of baptism. You could point to Acts chapter 10 and say that it's um, based on belief. Once you believe, then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be cautious. We need to be careful of over-formulating, over-systematizing the work of the Holy Spirit. You look at the same in Acts chapter 19. We see that Paul, that the Holy Spirit was working in him in such a profound way that even objects he touched were then used later on, brought to other people to heal them. That's not something you see in the rest of the Bible. That's not something you see repeated in the book of Acts or even in the New Testament. And so we need to be very careful when we're trying to say, oh, the Holy Spirit does this, or he works in this way, or he never works in this way. The Holy Spirit works. He works in the lives of believers. He reminds us of the truth of God's word. He brings us to the gospel and he empowers us to live righteous lives on God's behalf and for God's glory. And honestly, I think beyond that, there's not a whole lot that we can actually formulate. There's not a whole lot that we can systematize. Some people argue about whether or not the Holy Spirit still works in things like healing and speaking in tongues and prophecy. People who argue about whether or not the Holy Spirit um, always allows people to speak in tongues if they ask. And when we look in the New Testament, if we honestly look at the New Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit has worked at different times in different people's lives over different periods of time, right? And there's, there's portions in the Bible um, where we see God work in a specific way for a period of time, and then he stops working in that way, and then he starts working in it again. And so we need to be very cautious about saying any definitive statements about how the Holy Spirit works. And whatever we do believe about his work needs to be rooted in the whole counsel of Scripture. So I hope that this has encouraged you and helped you understand Acts chapter 19 and the rest of the Bible. And I pray that in all things, God's name would be glorified and his will would be done. Thank you.